Welcome to the Dads with Nerdy Ambition podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hugh, and I don't know why I extended my last name there. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I do owe you a huge apology. Uh, I know it has been a while since I did my last episode, and unfortunately, our good friend uh, David could not be here tonight. Uh, he is busy being an adult, which is always fun. Um, but it is, you know, uh, it is that time of the season where everybody gets sick and, uh, you know, the holidays happen. So Thanksgiving happens, which is always fun. So, ladies and gentlemen, I do owe you an apology. However, I'm going to make it up to you tonight because I have this crazy young, amazing actress and filmmaker, uh, Rochelle Henry. She is, there's so many things this, this young lady has done. And I say young because she's 22 and I'm 36 and I am now old. Uh, I get told that on a daily basis now. Uh, so without further ado, let's talk about this lady right here. So she is an award-winning actress. She is both done film. She won the best teen, a teen actress in a short film called uh, Jersey Girls. She starred in a short film called Grifters. She won best young actress in a short film, the second annual Young Entertainer Award. Uh, she won so many different things for, uh, let's talk about for her short film, Mil Missing and uh, defining moments. She is a philanthropist. She is constantly busy and she somehow made the time to come on the show with me tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the wonderful, the impeccable, the adorable uh, <laughs> Rochelle Henry. Rochelle, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Did I cover most of it? Did I get, or just like a third of it? No, I don't feel <laughs> like know, I did. You know, hearing it read off, it sounds like a lot. It <laughs> you know, is a like lot. You, mine. It is. Yeah. You, you are absolutely. And, and, and I, I joked with you earlier about this and we've talked about your schedule because when we were trying to set this up, you are absolutely insane on so many <laughs> levels and in a good way. And there truly, truly is a good way um, because you're constantly doing stuff. You're constantly, whether it's your acting or you're writing, you are helping out, you're supporting your community and you're making time for me. And it is, and at 22, you have more ambitions than I would say like at least a solid 80% of the people out there. And it, it shows, and, and I have props to you. I, good job. Thank you so much. You know, it's, it's interesting because having all these different things going on, but it's, for me, it's all the love for the art, the craft, um, the business side of everything. Um, and ultimately, what I like doing, no matter what it is, is helping others or inspiring others, giving back one way or another. Um, and it, I think everything ties back to that in a way, that at least is my goal, because I want to help people. I want to make people smile. I want to make somebody's day better or educate somebody, inspire somebody. And I feel like all the different aspects of what I do and what I've done all kind of tie back into that. So thank you so much for that really sweet intro. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to ask you that because that is such a sweet and endearing thing. Was that your mentality at six years old when you started acting or was, <laughs> or was it, I want to be famous? Never. It's never been, I want to be famous. That's, that's all that's been consistent the entire time. Um, for me, when I was six years old, the idea of performing, I think I've always had that where I like making people smile. Mm -hmm. Um, 
performing, um, being creative, because the first thing I did, my first love actually was dance. And I really liked, you know, performing um, in dance recitals. Um, I had so much fun doing that. And then I eventually um, moved into doing cheerleading. And that's kind of how I actually got started because I did these cheerleading classes, um, dance and gymnastics. But with cheerleading, I went to these camps and I ended up meeting some people that were talking about Nickelodeon was going to do a fairly odd parent spinoff that involved kids doing cheerleading. I don't know if that was ever made, but what it did bring me was the idea of, oh, I could maybe be a part of that. I like, you know, I like writing stories. I like acting things out for my family. I love dancing. I love singing, performing. So I thought, oh, this might be a great thing to do. So I told my family and they were like, oh, okay, cool. They talked about it amongst themselves, but they mm. didn't talk about it in front of me because mm. they were never wanting to push me into anything I didn't want to actually do if I wasn't serious about it. And of course, you can't really tell with a six-year-old, are they being serious about oh, it? Yeah. Or is it just you know a nice little whim they're talking about? And so they said to me, you're going to have to work very hard for a long time if you're serious about this. And my literal reply was, yes, please. And that is what I said in the room. And so then I started training. I started, I did more theater back then. Um, of course, acting classes. And I was still doing dance, gymnastics, singing. Um, and then I think age 10 is, even though I technically started when I was six, I would say age 10 is that turning point in my career where I was definitely more serious about it. And I was actually starting to work more. And I really did see it as a, this could be my career. Mm -hmm. This, you know, this is my future. And because that year I was in a music video, um, it was part of a director's competition for, you know, Moby, the, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yes. it was for, yes, it was, I... yeah, 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 yes. yeah. So it was for um, his, it was for Hello Future. And okay. we had this music video called The Day, and it was about these two homeless girls who were surviving on the streets. Um, and that was a very intense role. And then that same year, I did um, the film Ira Finkelstein's Christmas. I was technically an extra in that, but I was sitting right behind Elliot Gould and David Deloise. And what was great about that, it was my first time on a bigger indie set. And of course, being behind, you know, an Oscar nominated actor and then another iconic actor and they're watching them work together and they were improvising and, you know, having to see them do it take after take after take, but make it fresh each time was very inspiring. And also to see a strong female director leading the crew was very inspiring. Shout out to Sue Corcoran because she really did inspire me and the way she treated her crew was also very inspiring to me. Um, she's, and the way she treated the the crew, the extras, everyone, she treated everyone with the same respect. And that has always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Sue for being an inspiration clear back to when I was 10. And then the same year, I also did um, the musical theater um, show, Oliver, and I was cast as Oliver. And that was, so those were the, the three things that year that really were a turning point for me, mm. especially like with Oliver, even though that wasn't film, that was my first time um, performing 
in a theater show that was a mix of adults and kids, had the wireless mics, had stunts we had to do. Um, we had a live orchestra. And of course, being the lead in a bigger production of it was, it was, it was very cool. Um, and especially because I've always loved Oliver Twist. So it was very exciting for me, but I loved the sense of community mm. and getting to work with the group I did work with. Um, shout out to Mary Springer of Twelfth Night Productions. It's really bittersweet for me this year because Twelfth Night is now shutting down operations because mm. Mary and Rick are retiring. I love you, Mary and Rick. I'm, I feel a little emotional. Um, I love oh. them so much. Um, so it's, it's bittersweet that they're shutting down because I worked with them, not only on Oliver, but two years in a row, I was Susan in their, um, in their performance of Miracle on 34th street. Um, love them so much. And they've been such an important part of my life and they've made such an impact. So shout out to them. And I love 12th night productions so much. Always will have super fond memories, but all that to say is that I think that those early years really did um, impact even the way I think now in the business. And I think especially age 10 was when I really started taking it more serious as a career and really could see a more defined path. And then from there, you know, just started working more and more and more and more and more. Um, yeah, I think that I think that age 10 was the big turning point, the big you know, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, well, I want to tell you this. So we were about to be besties because uh, I don't think I've actually said this on the air. So I'm going to get a lot of judgment for this, but I was a male cheerleader in high school. I actually got my letter in cheerleading in high school. That's awesome. <laughs> no, there, well, there wasn't really a lot of sports when my graduating class was 55 people. So we had like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, tiny, tiny. There were very few things. Um, and then you asked me who, if I knew who Moby was. And yeah, that was a little shot in the heart right there for that one. So I, right now we're frenemies. But I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have done a variety of acting. And I, I, I wanted to ask you that if you had ever done theater. And so knowing that you've covered theater, you've done uh, TV, you've done miniseries and you've done movies. Is, is is there a certain medium that you prefer? Is there certain, do you prefer the stage? Do you prefer musicals or do you um, I definitely prefer, I definitely prefer TV and film. I will always have a place in my heart for theater. Mm -hmm. There's definitely been productions that have made me go, oh man, I, I wish I could do that right now. Um, cause actually I just was in New York and I went and I saw Into the Woods, which is my all time favorite musical on Broadway. There was multiple times where I was watching. I was like, should I go back in the theater? But the reason I had to even switch was because the time conflict, because especially like during Oliver, you're the lead, you have to be there for every single rehearsal. Um, and it was for four months that we rehearsed. And so I was there all day rehearsing um and I at one point had an opportunity to audition for a commercial um it paid I think four thousand dollars but I couldn't do it because I wasn't able to go down to Portland Oregon for the audition and I wouldn't have been able to shoot on the days because it was going to be opening week mm. so it was you know that kind of made me think okay I kind of have to pick a little bit more 
And so I ended up picking TV and film. That doesn't mean I haven't done any sense because mm. I did do um, during the pandemic, I did do virtual theater for the first time. So I did get to go back and kind of stretch my, you know, uh, theater skills a little bit again, but it was different because you're doing it over Zoom. Um, but it was in front of technically a live audience because YouTube live, we didn't have a way to stop and do another take. Mm. And it was in front of a green screen, green screen, our full bodies acting with our other fellow actors. We had stage directions, you know, all that. Um, it was, so it was interesting. So I kind of have done theater recently, but it was in a different medium. What were you going to say? Sorry. Oh, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was like, I wanted to ask you, was it more like you were just practicing your lines, but doing it? No, really? No, it was, it was, imagine if you are in a sound stage mm -hmm. and you have other actors you have to act with, but you are by yourself okay. physically in that realm. So what we would do, um, and that was with Lockdown Theater. Um, I did two productions with them over the course of um, the pandemic. Hmm. What was interesting about, and my favorite one that I did with them was called The Bridge. And it was this emotional one-act play. It only had three actors. And it was about um, trigger warning, suicide on the Golden Bridge, which is a very heavy topic. And so what they did was they had um, green screens and then we would of course be on zoom. It'd be the other actors and um, our tech director would then kind of cut us out and then put us in different, um, put us in front of a location. They had real footage from the golden gate bridge playing like going on that minute. Um, so like anytime the background, like it looked like the sun was changing it's because it was that they added some animation on top of that. So it wasn't so realistic mm. and they would map us out and put us kind of physically on the bridge. So it looked like we were standing next to each other when in reality we weren't at all in the same place. We were in different States. Um, but it was, and, and also anytime you hear a car driving by or you you'd hear a seagull, it was a real seagull. It was just happening to be flying right then in the middle and we couldn't do anything about it. It was live footage. Um, but that was interesting getting to do something so emotional. Um, if you go on to YouTube, you can go find it. It's a very bittersweet story. Mm. And we did have some people tell us that it did save either their life or save a friend's life. So I'm very happy that a production like that could actually save someone. Um, when you get compliments like that, when you get those statements like that, how does that make you feel? And like, what does it, does it, what's the inspiration does that give you for your career? That one was emotional, um, because knowing it's, it's knowing with that one, knowing some, that somebody's hurting so much that that's the course that they're going to take it's hard. And then knowing that whatever work you did may have given them a little bit of hope is, you know, it happy is not the right word because it's not that kind of emotion, but you definitely feel emotional and you feel honored that you were able to help them mm -hmm. in that way. Is it humbling? Definitely. 
Definitely. And we actually got to talk to a guy who I think is one of the few he he's either the sole survivor or one of very few that actually has survived. Um, and we got to talk to him and he did like a message before the play. And it was, it was very, like I said, it was a bittersweet emotional thing. That play was very emotional because my character was constantly on the edge and she was very angsty. She was a very broken teenager and um having to also convey because the plot is two strangers meet on a bridge both of them for the same purpose and they both are trying to stop each other and then they eventually meet this angel character who saves both of their lives um and the angel character happens to also be somebody who was in that dark place but eventually um got out of it and wanted to help people so that's the plot of the story and having to establish the relationship of these people to meet and they have to build a connection in a quick enough time um, that that they would want to try to save each other. And they have to have that connection where they would actually fight to make sure the other person survives. But at the same time, these people just met and you have to make it realistic that they wouldn't immediately be friends. And of course, my character being the angsty teenager didn't immediately come friends with this middle-aged professor so it was (laughs) so but establishing that was was very interesting that was a that was quite the production and I was happy to do it in the middle of the pandemic because we didn't have any other projects going on so it gave me the opportunity to not only work on some theater skills you know because theater can teach you a lot Mm -hmm. um doing some theater skills but also still working within a tech you know, cinema-based medium was really interesting. That's awesome. Um, I want to transition to another project since we're talking about such a surreal project that you've done. Um, My Summer is a Goth, which was an absolute, looks like an absolutely amazing project that you were working on. And I, when I was researching this, I was watching this and I was going, wow, this is something that is very much relevant. And you, you get to see, the coping mechanisms that were taking place in this film. And it's very interesting. Uh, And I'd love to know your take on this movie. Definitely. It's, it was great that they shot it with real teenagers Mm. because we were able to bring in those aspects of our real life into it. My character, Molly is the best friend and my character represents my character really represents acceptance because when her best friend decides that she is going to go goth, my character doesn't judge her for that. The only thing my character is critical of is the fact that she is dating a guy who is obviously toxic and doesn't treat her right. And I say to her that I'm going to support her, but I don't think that she's making a decision that is true to her. And I don't think that it is a healthy decision for her. But my character, in terms of how the best friend identifies, completely okay with her going goth. She thinks it's cool. She ends up dating a goth boy herself. Spoilers. (laughs) 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 But my character really, she's just, she loves a person for who they are, not how they dress, what click they're in. She doesn't care about that. If you're a cool person, she'll hang out with you. 
And I really like that my character was the person that wasn't trying to tug the character Joey in one way or another. Mm-hmm. If, like, you need to be more of a normie or you need to be more goth. My character was like, just be you, whatever feels most natural for you. And so I really liked being that role. And my character, of course, is fun loving and is wanting adventure and is wanting to try new things. And I will say, like, as an actor, being the only teenager in the film of the main cast that didn't go goth or where the goth makeup was kind of sad (laughs) because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to do the makeup. And they were like, well, maybe we'll make you a little bit of alternative at the end. And so I was like, great. You know, I'm going to be, you know, having a little bit of a transformation. I didn't get that transformation. In my mind, I was sitting there going, that's a lot of makeup to put on and off your face. I thought you were going to be like, oh, yeah, I didn't have to put on the makeup. It was so great. Oh, but- I've, I've had roles. I've worn prosthetics. I've done full goth before for roles. I one time for a makeup artist demo class they turned me into a bald man with a beard. So I'm down and I ended up going to a premiere afterward, still wearing that. <laughs> nice. So I'm down to try different looks. So let me ask you this because you were, you know, of the teenage age when you did this, is it, how relatable is, was this film for you as a teenager, as a young adult to, you know, your actual life and how you feel life has treated the younger generation? I definitely think that coming of age projects really can impact the way a teenager views themselves and views relationships. Um, I remember at one point in an acting class, even us performing Perks of Being a Wallflower and really talking about Perks of Being a Wallflower really has those moments of talking about living in the moment, taking every moment and just enjoying life. So that's like an example of a teen of a coming of age project that really can inspire a teenager. Now with this one, while I wasn't going through what a lot of the characters in the project were going through, I definitely understand the, you know, the, the friendship dynamics where somebody can be changing and where that can be, where you really want to help them in that and know that you let that person know that you have um, their back and Mm. that you support them. But then if they change their attitude toward you or change how they act, it, it really can be frustrating as the friend and can, it it can be hurtful. And of course, like, cause I was 15 and 16 when we filmed because we filmed over the course of two different summers. Mm. Um, You know, of course, in that time period, teenagers will have that, you know, Mm. Definitely, I've had some friendships where that was the case, you know, we've all had that. So it definitely was relatable. And Mm -hmm. I know that other kids in the cast, I'm not going to speak for them, but they definitely did have some struggles that were parallel um, at the time of filming. So it's, but I think that then when the film came out, we're all in our early 20s. And it's interesting to see and reflect and see some changes, you know, because we have some jokes within the cast of when we watch the film behind the scenes we know what you know what each other yeah. was like feeling at that moment and then we watch it we're like oh my gosh we've changed so much since then <laughs> so it's it's funny I definitely think that the film is relatable and I think that a lot of teenagers can identify with multiple even if you're not goth or even if you're not alternative 
self-acceptance and those coming of age themes are very important for that age, you know, where you are starting to figure out more of who you are, where you're supposed to be in the world, all of those things. And I think that that project definitely does tap into that really well. And that's awesome. Um, I really liked it and it did reach to me on a level that I don't think it reached you. I, you did. I don't think you had your emo goth phase. Did you know? No. See, <laughs> I did. Um, but it, it also reached on to me and, and we are a nerd podcast and we will get into the nerdy stuff, but a lot of nerd culture has this, we, we have gone through this transgression where it is, you know, we are the outsiders. We are looked differently. Uh, there was a time as a shocker as it might be to you, nerd was not cool. Um, D and D and Marvel and all these things that I am very much passionate about. were not cool and we're not accepted. And so seeing things, projects like this, uh, even recently Tim Burton's Wednesday, it's, it's reaching what and watching and seeing these, the, the things that are progressively accepted. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to me and seeing my summer as a, looking at my summer as a goth, I said, wow, I can really relate to that on a much younger me level going the finding my click and the coming of age and discovering who I am, especially as a nerd, uh, which we'll get into our, uh, our, what we are as a podcast, which is nerd culture. And you are nerdy by the way, which is, <laughs> I am. is it's awesome because we were sitting there talking we were getting up for this interview and i was like yeah what nerdy things are you about and you just gave me this list <laughs> and you are marvel you love star wars you love sherlock now is that robert downey jr or is that uh benadryl cucumber benedict patch <laughs> awesome. benadryl cucumber patch all the way <laughs> i, I love him too favorite. and martin freeman Oh my God, oh, such a great combo. Love them. I was way more of a geek about it in my like 15 to 17 mm. range, but I still love it. But that was in the day where I was buying merch all the time or I was so into the fandoms and all the theories and all the fandoms and everything about it. Like I was super into it. I was like, that little detail means this. Like back then I could tell you everything about it. Nowadays, I can only remember it. <laughs> I, 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 I like him. I, I love Robert Downey Jr. He's a great Sherlock. However, uh, Benedict, I'm going to call him, make the joke name again, but uh, Benedict is a, he's a method actor. And so I, it is a lot more, I don't know, is Robert Downey Jr. a method actor too? I actually don't know. Um, I should know that. I should be researching these what things. What I do know is that, which I haven't, I've only seen a little bit of the Robert Downey Jr. version. Um, what I do know is I one time saw this documentary that was about the forensic science behind all of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's books. Mm -hmm. And they say that that version of Sherlock, the, the BBC version, is the most accurate to the books, despite being set 200 years later, based on the different forensic um, methods they used the different detecting skills, um, even the way Sherlock would interact with people. It was the most accurate to the book, which I find so interesting adapting something that is set so many years later, but being so accurate to the character and his methods. And um, I love true crime. Forensic Files is my, <laughs> like, anytime I travel out of town and I'm in I, a I hotel, 
forensic files. I can't is tell I by your your acting career here that what your genre of choice is. You know, <laughs> I love so many different genres. You I you you love every you are in, you are. I grew up in Seattle, buffet. which is of course you know where they are going to try to do some nerdy projects, sci-fi and horror and drama um, and comedy. Like, you know, you're going to have a whole gambit mm. over there of what people want to do, um, which I think has actually really benefit, be, be, benefited me being now here in LA mm. um, because I'm ready and I'm open for all different genres. I mean, The Mosquito Coast is a crime drama thriller. You have Dead to Me, which is a dramedy you have Gaslit, which is a Watergate era um, comedic drama thriller. You know, mm-hmm. you have all those different things going and, on. And, and I'm just, I'm going to touch on it just a little bit. You know what? Let's just go ahead and let's talk about it because I have been giddy about this. And you did, uh, you did uh, the Soma transmissions. You were an actress in that. And Soma, ladies and gentlemen, is this sci-fi horror game that is just absolutely twisted. It, it's the best way to describe it. It is this game that basically takes your ideology of what is life and what is considered human and just all these horrible twisted things for it. And they came out with these mini episodes called the transmission files. And you play uh, Lisa Galaski. Lisa Galaski. Uh, Lisa sure. Galaski. Yep. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. I, I know that I know too. That's the worst part. Cause you know, I've seen these. It's interesting. Uh, until, until I saw, um, I mean, I remember talking with the director about the, her name is Melissa, but she goes by Lisa. But after filming, um, I only thought of her as Lissa until I saw this wiki fandom article that was like, Melissa, in quotes, Lissa Galaski. Yes. And I was like, oh, I completely, because, you know, when you hear a nickname so often, that's kind of what you latch on to. Yes. So I completely understand. Yes. Uh, it, so talk to us about this, because I you were telling me earlier, you have a fun story about this. <laughs> so I'm absolutely giddy here. I have so many cool things about this project. I remember when... Um, the director talked to me about it. Um, this was before the game was officially released to the public that we started filming. Imago's Films made two short films in partnership with Frictional Games, which mm-hmm. makes Soma and many other horror first-person perspective games. And they were so popular on the internet that it ended up being made into originally a feature, but it ended up being cut into a mini series, which I think was actually a really smart choice. So mm. people could watch more episodes um, and could have a cliffhanger. I think that that was a really smart choice to turn it into a mini series. But when we were filming, we thought it was a feature film. Um, we filmed at the Satsop a nuclear plant it was never officially launched as a nuclear plant so don't worry about any chemicals or anything um but we did film inside all those structures that's where we filmed a majority um except for the scene where i'm on the video chat with my dad in my room everything i did was inside satsop um all of the submarines and the different structures, everything was filmed inside there. And that was an incredible location. How was often it creepy? Did... Like, was it naturally oh, creepy? Like, oh. it was, because it's, of course, middle of nowhere. You have to yeah. drive into the middle of nowhere to get to this place. It's very empty. It has this very 
kind of dismal feel. It's very gritty. Um, it's very lonely. Like I didn't feel lonely there, but it's a lonely feeling area and it's massive structures, dark gray tones everywhere. And you have to have flashlights to see where you're going half the time. So it was definitely naturally a creepy location. It wasn't hard to get into character, was it? No, it was, well, you know, I had fun developing both, both of Lissa's two, you know how Lissa kind of had two personalities going on. Yes. The real Lissa, who is this bubbly young girl who, of course, is missing her father, um, but has to be strong and, you know, knows that there's weird things going on in the world, isn't quite sure what all is going on, but knows that there is going to be change happening. And then you have the Lissa that was created by the WoW, which is a scary and menacing version of this girl. So when I was doing the wire work and I was 40 feet in the air and I'm having to lift Adam up and I'm being all menacing, that was so much fun getting to be on those wire work, um, on those wires. We had Aaron Crippen who worked on um, Batman versus Superman. And I think he immediately left to go shoot on Chicago fire, like right after mm. he did a great job of prepping me to be on the wires for hours at a shot. Because the thing with the wire work is you're in this harness that's pulling you up and you're using muscles that you don't normally use. And you have to be, really strong to stay in it for hours it really pulls on you you're 40 feet in the air so you can't you can't well I originally started lower and then they rose me up um I think they didn't show it in the miniseries but they did actually at one point have me do a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible fall no way. <laughs> at so and they dropped me really fast I was up in the air um, they think we shot like two or three times and oh my actually, God, you poor thing. <laughs> oh no, I had fun doing that. Really? Okay. Oh my God. Especially the way that Adam, uh, not Adam, especially the way that Aaron Crippen prepped me for it. He mm. had me come in and try on the wires a few times before I actually filmed. He got me used to the wires swinging. Um, he would push me and, you know, let me see what it feels like. Would raise it up higher, would drop it a few times he would do slower faster he had me practicing like the laying out more flat mm. the tilting down had me practice all of those mechanisms before we actually went fully up in the air and I think that his approach really helped with the mentality especially and that really helped because then of course you're not having your fear um you know bogging you um which I'm not really afraid of heights but in that kind of location it definitely could have been scary <laughs> but the way he directed the uh you know the different stunts really made it a more comfortable environment than you know let's say he hadn't taken the time to show me what it was going to be like on wires it might have been a very different feeling but it allowed me to then really like tap into that grimacing wow character too so let me ask you this after doing uh the transmissions did you do you having a desire to do more game related stuff? Have you thought oh, about yes. voice acting with it at all? I've done voice acting before. Oh. Um, 
I haven't, I did it for one video game. I don't remember what it was called. Um, but I have done voiceover work and I do actually train in mocap um, with TJ Storm, who, who, if you Good know, he you. is Godzilla in Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters. He's the king of mocap and he started his own mocap studio called Mind's Eye Tribe. And they also teach, you know, stunt performance, um, monster and creature movement, um, tactical swords, a variety of different kinds of stunts and mocap training. Um, and I also train with a guy who also teaches at Mind's Eye, uh, but I train with him privately um, for more uh, variety of sword fighting. Uh, Terrence Rotolo, he and I have worked on, oh my gosh, how many different kinds of sword fighting now? Yes, we should mention that you are trained, yeah. you're a trained sword fighter and you are also a jouster. So you have <laughs> your nerdy card is the, oh, and your archery. <laughs> I'm better in archery than I am in jousting. I am very beginner in jousting. All right, Katniss. I, All right, calm I'm, down over there. I'm, I would say intermediate, um, okay. intermediate coming into advanced more in sword fighting, um, especially the way that Terrence has trained me. Um, I, I've always loved broadswords and um, I trained in it a little bit when I was younger, but it wasn't an official um, like worldwide known system. And it wasn't historically known techniques, mm -hmm. but Terrence has really brought that in. Um, so he's taught me, which I didn't know this, a lot of productions will lean more into Japanese or Asian sword fighting techniques and not as much European nowadays. But he's teaching me both and a variety of different techniques within those and different kinds of blades and weapons so I can be prepared for anything. For example, I love broadswords. Those are my favorite things. He's teaching me how to do really delicate fencing movements with a broadsword. So that way, if I wanted to add any finesse and kind of, you know, trip up an opponent in the middle of a broadsword fight or add some flair, like my character's trained in a variety of styles, I can have that. So you play D&D, by no, the way. No, I don't. You but really, I really should. You really should because everything you're describing is like you are a fantasy nerd. I, <laughs> I, I I am giving you the blessing. You have you you. If I had more time, you wouldn't believe how many times I've had friends saying like, "Oh, you'd be so good in gaming," or blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Have you seen my schedule?" <laughs> yes, but if you I can, mean, if you if you think you can fix a game in, let me know. I'll DM for you. We'll do it virtual because oh my god. <laughs> Awesome. You, this is you're so cool, and and I know we've been going for a while, and I there's still we still have to right. talk a little about about no stop. This is what we do. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> it's but there's so many things about you, so I'm definitely going to cut get you to come back on here because I want to spend okay. time on your up and coming things because you did, uh, you just did, uh, Martin Gale. You are getting you have a movie coming out. Uh, uh, you are in a movie called Bermuda Island, which we get yes. to announce comes out January twentieth. You are, so there are things I want to talk about and I want to get to these because, yes. you know, this is what we brought you on the show for and we're not even let's there yet. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So let's go ahead and let's talk about, uh, because you had, you just finished up and it's actually the finals the season finale is coming up for the Mosquito Coast, which you played yeah. Annie in. Um, so how excited, how excited are you to know that you are wrapping up a show for the season finale starting off it here? Was 
it was so exciting because I didn't know that it was going to be the season finale until I got the script. And there was many script rewrites, even when I was in Tulum night before, even on set, there was rewrites. Um, but knowing I was in the season finale and knowing what happens in the end is crazy. Of course, I can't say anything. Yes. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really good about not telling people anything. I'm very good at it. Um, but knowing what happens was so exciting because <laughs> I, I already know what's going to happen. For me, it's interesting watching the series right now because I don't know what happens in the first eight episodes. I only know what happens in episode nine and episode 10. I have no idea what's happening before. So to see everything play out, um, and I don't know, of course, how they're going to edit even my episodes um, and knowing what happens. I have a friend who's with um, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association who has seen the episodes already and said, wow, it's so cool. You're seen doing this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, wow, great. So somebody's already, you know, seen it. <laughs> cool. I don't even know. Right. He's talking to me about it in depth and because he's now seen it. And I'm like, this is great. You know, I can't wait till I am seeing what we did and. No, and this was a thing also with Dead to Me. I want to know what takes they pick mm-hmm. because we did a variety of different things. Um, our director, um, Metten, I think that that's how, I'm probably butchering his name, but Metten, he was a wonderful director. He's directed so many series I love. And um, he did a great job of giving the actors parameters to work within but also letting us play around and bring our own ideas to the table. And he, um, he was so great about letting us try a variety of things Mm -hmm. and he would give suggestions and then say, all right, go back and do it the way you did two takes ago. And it was wonderful getting to collaborate with him. And it's been fun to watch his other episodes of Mosquito Coast um, this time, you know, seeing like, Oh, I can definitely see some of his style within that. Yeah. Um, so that was wonderful. And getting to work in Tulum, Mexico, a basically oh, yeah. a paid vacation is incredible. I had, no idea. <laughs> I had no idea that that's what I was going to be doing <laughs> in June. And because I originally was going to be doing a different project and I wasn't able to do it. So I thought, OK, I don't know what if I'm going to be working on anything in the summer. And so I thought I was going to go back up home to Seattle to go to my college graduation. Then I had this audition come in and of course turned it in, waited, didn't hear anything back for a while. Then I hear back about a week or two later that they said, oh, we love your work, but we want you for the role of Annie. Because I auditioned originally for a different character, but they Mm -hmm. loved me for Annie. So then I had to wait another week or two. And then they finally confirmed that I had the role and they gave me the dates and then I had to fly out. So I watched my college graduation from the makeup trailer on a live stream, <laughs> but how sweet it, it was, um, but it was cool. I got to see one of my best friends walk, which was fun. Um, but it was interesting because how often do you get to go work in someplace that's a dream for so many people to go visit and to be able to say, oh yeah, I'm also kind of celebrating my graduation here. How often does that happen? That's that's, so, that's awesome. So, so let me ask you this, because you did. You were in Dead to Me. You did Gaslit. And you did Mosquito Coast. 
I'm curious comparatively to, you know, doing Martingale and Bermuda Island, because, you know, when you're doing a movie, you're doing sections and sections that, you know, like, hey, we're doing all these scenes today. We're doing all this today. How different is that from doing your 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 television series comparatively? I would say that they were pretty similar in that sense Mm -hmm. because I wasn't shooting let's say like an ABC TV series where it's faster where they're going to release episodes quicker Mm -hmm. these were longer series that were made for premium networks and for streaming so they take a longer time to film Mm -hmm. but it is interesting the environment is different because you do have more time to establish those characters and you do have different directors on them you know that the different you know that on TV shows, they're going to have different directors for different episodes. It's not going to be the same director. Um, you don't, if you're coming in on a co-star, you won't get to meet every person um, that has worked on previous things. Um, you won't have the same kind of connection that you get to build with them. Though, I've been lucky on, um, like with Mosquito Coast, I was there for two weeks. So I did have time to really build um you know, build those connections with the Mexican casting crew. Um, and of course, then meeting, you know, the director and the other American actors that were flown in, um, you know, getting to build those relationships. I had more time to do that. But with, let's say, uh, Dead to Me, you're brought in and you are only there for a few hours. Um, I was on set, I think, I don't know, like five, six hours. I wasn't there very long. Mm. I got there. They had everything set up and then brought me in, shot my coverage. And then um, they had to um, move things around. And then they brought back in um, Christine Applegate to shoot her coverage. Um, And then we were done with footage. And then I was wrapped that day. And it's interesting how quickly things can go um, on a TV set. Um, You only get you get less takes, you get less time with certain things, but it's also very rewarding and it makes you really have to step up your game too, because you won't have the same chances on, let's say an indie film, you know, you really have to, you also know that the people watching are the people that are the executive producers that run um, these series. You know, that it is the heads of these um, networks that are watching. So I think there's also that I'm going to nail this really quickly so they can be really happy with the footage. Too. Is it an anxious rush? Because that it, for me, I'm like, I'm getting anxiety for you. But I'm also like, man, I bet that is such a rush. <laughs> it's very exciting. So with Dead to Me, it was really interesting getting to meet Liz Feldman. Um, she's just incredible. I mean, if you've seen the show, you know what an incredible writer she is. And she came in. Um, she was in Video Village watching the footage. And... We were in a sound stage, so she was kind of outside of that. She walked in and came over and introduced herself. And she said, you are doing a wonderful job. You're natural and you're going to go far. And then she like, then said bye and like walked back. And I was so blown away because <laughs> somebody who I adore just came in and, you know, told me they liked my work. Absolutely. And it's a very, it's a very brief moment on the show, but it's a very impactful one. Because it's a moment where Jen, played by the amazing, talented, and super sweet Christina Applegate, where she came in 
and she's having a moment of reflection and is kind of seeing a younger version of herself. Um, there is no official young Jen, but I kind of represent the younger version of what Jen would be. Nice. And I realized even watching it, the reason they dressed me in the way they did was to make it even kind of ambiguous to what time period. Is she seeing a flashback or is that girl actually there? Um, you know, because they dressed me where I could be in the 90s or I could actually be there in 2022. And it was wonderful getting to work with Christina. Um, you know, you always wonder what your idols are going to be like when you meet them. And mm -hmm. she is just so talented, so kind. When we finished filming, um, she came over and she sh extended her hand and I thought she was just going to shake my hand. And so I was ready for like the professional handshake and she pulled me in for a tight hug Aww. and she held me there for a while. And it was a moment I'm never going to forget because I really cherished that. And it was right before Thanksgiving. So it was like the biggest thanks, you know, thankful moment of getting to work with her. Um, I booked it in June of 2021 and then I filmed in um, November, like late November of 2021. And so I had to keep it secret. I couldn't say anything for those months as well oh. as then until now. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to film because that was actually around the time of Christina's diagnosis. She was diagnosed in August and they were in pre-production when they cast um, cast me and it was before it was officially announced. And so I didn't even know, were they going to continue on with the series or not? Um, and I would have completely understood had Christine Applegate said, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not ready to do this, but she, she powered through. I love her. She is such a strong woman, not just because she's fighting, you know, this horrible disease, but also she's just this strong, loving personality. And she cares so much about the, about the crew, watching her interact with those crew members that she's worked with for all these seasons, you know, she loves and adores them and they love her back, you know, not that's, just cause, Oh, it's something special. That's special they though. That's all yeah. amazing. Um, she's wonderful. She is an amazing person and my heart breaks. And when I, when I heard about it and everything, cause I heard from my wife and I was like, Oh, we're going to be talking about dead to me too. So like, that's, oof, that's, but it's good. You know, I'm, I'm glad that she has that, that support and to hear such positive things about her is absolutely amazing. And she is definitely a rose in a field of daisies. She is she, absolutely amazing. She's so, she's so talented. She's as talented as she is kind. And you know how, how yeah. much that is. She's that's just, wonderful person so one la we do uh, if you have time because we have been going for a while uh i did want to wrap up with uh bermuda island because this is your come upcoming project that's coming out so uh I, I you know are you how excited are you about that what can little tidbits can you you know snibble to us a little bit i'm very excited for it it comes out january 20th i just mm -hmm. found out that uh blah, blah. It comes out January Excuse me, 20th. my stomach is over here growling because I'm <laughs> hungry, so I apologize. <laughs> so it releases January 20th. Um, it's going to be out in the U.S. and Canada across multiple different platforms, streaming, and I think the world premiere is going to be that day. I have no idea if that's going to be in L.A. or Las Vegas. I'll find out soon. Okay. Um, but I'm very excited for that. 
that role was interesting because I play this flight attendant named Ray and it was it was kind of the first role where I've gotten to play a young adult not just a teenager I love playing a teenager I love doing that but to play somebody that is working in the middle of a profession um in a high stress career was an interesting role to take on. I'm wearing a flight attendant uniform and my character does take on this major crisis. And I kind of was, they let me have the choice of, is she going to freak out and not be able to help people? Or is she going to kind of, you know, gather up all the courage and she's going to take it on. She's going to make sure that everybody gets through this. Everybody's calm. She will make it her mission to make sure that things go as smoothly as they can. And that's what I wanted to do with Ray. I wanted her to be the strong person that everyone could rely on in a moment of fear. Even if she's terrified herself, she's not gonna let that get in the way. She is going to make sure that everybody on this flight gets off as safely as they can. That's awesome. Uh, and I'm excited. Very- I, I can't wait to, to see this. And ladies and gentlemen, it comes out January 20th. So be prepared to go look for it. Um, you know, I, Rochelle, I, I thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Um, is there anywhere that the good people out in the, the world of nerd nation, where can they find you, uh, if they want to, you know, pursue looking into other things that you've worked on? Definitely. You can find me on my website, which is www.rochellehenry.com. You can find me on my Instagram, which is at the Rochelle Henry on Facebook. It's Rochelle Henry actress. And I still have my Twitter account up. It is Rochelle M. Henry. Um, And I'm also on YouTube, um, both as myself and also as The Lightning Hour, which is the talk show that I have with my friends Rico and Sasha. And I also am starting to get ready to have more things come out on my channel for Illuminate Magazine, which is a magazine that I have and run. And along with that, I also, um, you can find me on IMDb so you can see some upcoming projects. You are always busy and I cannot believe you were able to make time for me. And I would love to have you on again because we did not cover a third of the cool (laughs) things that you have done and nerdy stuff that you've been a part with. Uh, But so let's go ahead and let's wrap this up. As always, please like, subscribe and follow us where you can listen to podcasts. And if you are listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please remember to rate and review. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, so please like and follow us at DNA Pod or on our Twitter while it's still around at NerdDNAPod or on our webpage, www.nerddnapod.com. I'm your host, Steve Pugh, and I have been joined by the just absolutely, I, I'm, I'm going to just keep saying this, you're insane. You're absolutely insane with your <laughs> like your time and the, the fact that you were able to put this little snippet of around two hours to, to hang out with us and talk about you know everything that you've been doing. Uh, thank you so much, Rochelle Henry, for being on the show tonight. Uh, thank you so much, listeners, for listening. And thank this you is the so DNA much Podcast. Yes, thank you. Yes, so thank you. It's been a joy. Yes, <laughs> thank you, and good night. <laughs>